Hey guys, this is Mike Mahaffey, the old bastard BJJ guy, here for BJJ Mental Models. Back in my day, we had to walk uphill in the snow both ways to get to the academy just to learn some crappy technique from a random purple belt. You kids have it so easy, because now you can just subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium and get tons of great audio courses to learn new techniques, enhance your mindset, and entertain yourself. You can even get personalized rolling reviews from some of your favorite BJJ Mental Models coaches, including me. It's like having your own seminar, you spoiled little whippersnappers. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium right now, get off my lawn, and go train. Mental Models episode 269. I'm Steve Kwan. BJJ Mental Models is your guide to a conceptual and intelligent jujitsu approach. And people can't see this, but I am currently looking at a Josh Kintanen Wentworth here who is wearing perhaps the most absurdly awesome costume I have ever seen anyone wear. Uh, since this is audio only, Josh, why don't you explain to people what exactly is on your body right now? So it's not a costume. It is a very warm, um, oversized fleece hoodie that goes all the way down to my knees and happens to be royal purple. So it is amazing, and I highly recommend them. I don't know where this one was obtained. My wife got it for me for Christmas. It's been the warmest thing that I've ever wrapped myself in. It is incredibly soft, and I love it, and I'm never going to stop wearing it. It looks like a Santa outfit, but it is just a beautiful shade of purple. And honestly, you know, people will listen to this and they'll think I'm making fun of you, but I'm absolutely not. I totally want one of those things. They look like the coziest things ever. It is. Everyone would look at it and think, wow, that's sort of ridiculous. And it's like, yo, you just put one on and then you'll look ridiculous too, because you'll never want to take it off. (laughs) I I do get a kick out of how jujitsu people are always very concerned about looking ridiculous. It's like, my God, how, you pra- how you, are you going to be? <laughs> you practice the most ridiculous looking hobby I can imagine. And you're right? worried about looking more ridiculous. All right. Well, let's get into the order of business here. Now, for those who who maybe missed the earlier conversation that we had on the public feed or our chats on premium, why don't you just give yourself a quick hello here? Oh, goodness. For people that don't know who I am, how am I going to do that? Uh, no, I'm Josh Wentworth. I'm better known as uh, the Reddit user and previously Bullshito user Ken Tannen. I'm most famous for just trolling people on the internet and generally talking a lot of smack. Uh, relatively recently, thanks to mostly Steve, I've become more known for having some uh, insights into how small people in jujitsu can operate effectively and safely. And we did some episodes on that and that's it, right? I hosted a camp. A lot of people came to that. That was fun. But I also run a gym in the middle of nowhere in Georgia that is it's growing. We're doing good. I'm well known for reverse classroom shenanigans, arguing with people, you know, that kind of thing. I don't know, man. I didn't prepare for an introduction. I thought you had that covered. <laughs> well, I suspect most people already know you, but yeah, I mean, I can co-sign on all of that. Yeah, Josh held a 
kind of the first official BJJ mental models camp. We didn't make a big deal out of it, but at his place in Georgia. And man, that was an amazing experience. It was great to meet you, to train with you. I learned a ton. There were so many cool, interesting perspectives that were kind of off the beaten path. A lot of great stuff for people who are like older, smaller, or just don't want to get hurt, (laughs) right? Really awesome content. It's actually all recorded and we've got it available if anyone wants it. But man, yeah, I can't thank you enough for for putting all that together. That was definitely a 2023 highlight for me was getting to go down to Georgia and train with all of you guys in person. I am still like blown away by how well my stuff, Gantz stuff and Mike Mahaffey's stuff like meshed together when you started using it all together. And it changed the way that I play my stuff when I started to really integrate the stuff that they showed. So I highly recommend if you have the time, go look at the videos, look at the stuff that we were doing and showing and just start to put it together because that will also help you see some of the stuff that I've been talking about in these audio series is where you can now get a a sort of a physical visual of what's going on and what I'm talking about, which might help you when you eventually circle back to this episode where we will be talking about a additional component of some of that finally, which is um, how to use some of these concepts from the top in a way that we haven't discussed before. So we've mostly discussed sort of a more traditional pursuit of top control and top games and using kind of standard nomenclature and standard positions and things like that. And this is going to be a little bit different. Yeah, I'll put a link to all of that in the show notes and we can talk about it a bit more at the end. But yeah, we're we're talking about some friends of the podcast here, Gant Grimes, uh, Mike Mahaffey, who both had really popular episodes with us in the last year or two. So definitely recommend checking those out. But one of the things that you talked about there, which I think was a real game changer, especially for small people, was this idea of the honey badger pass, which kind of ties into this broader framework of things that we talked about, which I'm not sure if we're going to be able to cover everything in one episode here today. But I love that you got into this because other than my old instructor, you're the only person I've ever met that actually plays this passing style. And man, when I learned this passing style, it changed my passing game to the point where I don't really do anything else from top anymore. It's just so effective for me. I mean, for me, other than the tap, it is maybe the closest technique I've found to a 100% success rate in jujitsu. It just almost always seems to work. And it's so good for smaller people too. And I think we've talked about this a few times on the podcast, but maybe explain it just for people who don't know what we're talking about. What do we mean when we talk about the honey badger passing system? And why, I mean, I guess people will figure this out pretty quickly, but why do we call it that too? So I'm going to approach it from the other side of it here where we're talking about spiky ball right? Which feeds into other stuff. That was the component that you said we may not be able to cover both. So I'm going to briefly cover this. And the the idea of being a spiky ball is something that kind of I developed as like a blue belt because it was like, I just needed people to stop crushing me. And it was about being compressed and compact limb coiling, right? That's been discussed on the podcast numerous times, just keeping yourself contracted. And I was doing that from the bottom and so on and so forth. It was doing a really good job. And it wasn't until a year and a half ago, I think, that I was playing with some of my bigger, stronger students who had started to get like wise to all of my tricks on top. And one of them was kind of tall, lanky, had me pulled into closed guard. And it was just, I couldn't get out of his closed guard. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to deal with this. I'm just going to hunker down and I'm going to see if I can just kind of wedge myself out through this dude's legs because he's got long legs. Maybe I can find a gap. And so I just kind of put my hands kind of over my face, up to my forehead in that uh, force field style position. And I brought my elbows in really tight against each other, like touching each other against my, like my belly button almost. 
And I just dove down on top of him in his guard like I was turtling. And I started to like scoot backwards. And he started trying to like pull at my collar, guillotine me. And eventually he tried to open his legs and do a sit-up sweep. But there was no arm to grab or anything. So I just immediately double undered him, dumped him on his butt and passed. I was like, huh, that was interesting. I wonder if that'll work again. And so then I just started doing it all the time. And it really is just, you're just balling up inside the guard. You're removing the threat to your arms because your limbs, they're not extended, right? You're removing the threat to your neck because your hands can help protect your neck and your head is pressed to their stomach. So they can't really get access to your neck, to your collar, things like that. So you can just kind of hunker down there. You get nice, like flat feet, wide knees. So you have a solid base. It's relatively difficult to bump you back and forth. I've had some people like catch me really explosively and they do manage to bump me over with kind of a hip bump sweep action when they're really like big and strong. But the nice part about having your elbows down really close is that normally when that happens, you just curl into a ball and kind of roll through to turtle mid sweep and pop out the back. So it's very difficult for them to, to solidify anything. And so you're able to just ignore everything they're doing while you just kind of burrow out of their guard. Because there's you'll notice when you're playing guard and you start to do this, there's this space between your like solar plexus and their groin. And it's this little space that's always there as soon as you create that shape, as soon as you bring your head down. It's just this little tiny space. And if you get both of your elbows in there and start moving backwards, they come through that space. And as soon as you've got a little bit there, you can start to open them out the same way we did for the Hobbit hands escapes and stuff, where you're extending the elbows as a wedge. Now you're creating a little more space. As soon as you have even a little more space, you can just wipe your hands through there. You just kind of dive your hands to the inside and scoop. And now you've got a double, you're just in a double underpass. There's nothing they can do about it. And it really, really, really is astonishingly effective as a way to stay safe and attack inside the closed guard of somebody who is taller and bigger and who's kind of got you in there and pulled you in as an attack and is attacking you. Absolutely. I love this position for a variety of reasons. Because you're a turtle aficionado and it's just turtling in closed guard, you cheater. That's exactly what I was going to say. You basically pull turtle inside the person's guard, which sounds fucking ridiculous, but it absolutely does work. You talked about the importance of coiling up when you are a small person. You always need to be very mindful of leaving a limb dangling because a big guy or girl, if they get a grip on your arm or your leg, they can get so much leverage that they can just use outsized levels of control on you. I mean, I think everyone who's sparred with someone who's 50 to 100 pounds bigger has probably had this experience where they, you know, like they grab your leg and they just literally pull you into whatever position they want you to go. And then they kind of settle you down there. When you coil up, you take away their ability to do that. And the challenge I had always had with most traditional guard breaks and guard passes is they require you to extend your arms and legs. And that works fine if you're like an athletic pairing to your opponent, if you're kind of comparable. But when you're giving up a lot of size or strength, doing a lot of traditional guard breaks and guard passes can expose you to risk, right? I mean, I think of when I started jujitsu, I was taught kind of that I guess, classic guard break where you put one hand forward and you, you know, you anchor onto their lapel or whatever, and then you put the other hand back on their hips and then you try to get into a combat base. And that sounds all well and good. 
But the problem is you're kind of creating a weird structure where one of your arms is forward and one of your legs is now somewhat available to your opponent. And if you're giving up a massive amount of size or strength, I don't care how good your jujitsu is, you're giving them a handle on your arm and they can kind of overpower you. So I struggled with breaking the guard and passing for a long time until one day my instructor said, why don't you try this? And he showed me this move, which is, he didn't call it this, but basically it's the honey badger. Basically he said, kind of like pull turtle inside their guard. Instead of sticking your hands forward, you know, kind of keep them back. You want to kind of try to almost have like an, uh, your elbows to your ribs if possible. You want to have your elbows on the inside and then you like anchor your hands kind of on their hip bones or whatever. And the interesting thing is you stay down on both knees. You don't try to get up. And that's a very different thing from a lot of modern guard passes where everyone says you have to pass while you're standing. Well, and that's and that's super valid when you are, again, as you said, have parity to the point where like you are able to stand up with their weight, both hanging from your hips and actively attempting to disrupt you. Great. If you can do that, standing up to pass will give you some mechanical advantage. It'll help you get gravity on your side. It'll make it harder for them to attack you with their hips. But for those Many cases when for us smaller people where you can't effectively stand up against somebody who's actively trying to disrupt you with their body weight when they are bigger than you are, right? You're just all of your resources go into just standing up and you don't have anything. You can't let go of them with one hand and like move around to try to get their leg open or anything. You're stuck focused entirely on staying up under the influence of their weight and their active disruption of your posture and base. And I did that, you know, I worked really hard on developing my standing guard breaks because I also, like my first guard break, it was that sort of traditional anchor their hips to the ground, make an L with your knees and then push backwards, kind of then go to combat base, very traditional. And then obviously, oh, that doesn't work, guys, you got to stand to pass, started working to stand to pass and the two scenarios that I would always run into were one, the dude's way bigger. So when I stand up, it's a ton of effort on my part. I'm burning energy like crazy. And then they shake themselves backwards and their weight collapses me down onto a knee or something. And now I'm back down. I got to do it again. Or they're my size. And when I stand up, they just come up with me. They're just like, I'm just good. They just climb up me and that's it. Like I'm not, I, I now I'm stuck with this person attached to me. I'm trying to shake them off. So I think the sort of more traditional passing or closed guard opening specifically paradigm is very much tailored to people in the like 170 pound and up range, right? Because the standard traditional closed guard breaks don't function the same way when you're much lighter either against people your own size or against much heavier people. It just doesn't work the same way. Yeah, I remember one time I was trying to stand in someone's guard, a big, strong dude, clearly had been doing some bodybuilding and a lot of lifting, and he wanted to get De La Hiva on me, and he just started aggressively using his giant leg to try to chop my leg to change the angle so he could get De La Hiva. And I realized, okay, one of two things is going to happen. Either this guy is going to break my knee doing this because he's that much bigger or stronger, or I'm just going to have to fall over and let him have whatever he wants. Because by giving him my leg at that angle, by standing up and giving him that opportunity, now I've put myself a kind of a health risk here. So that was kind of a moment where I realized a lot of jujitsu changes when you are not physically comparable to your opponent. And the other thing to bear in mind too, is we have to think about what our opponent wants 
us to do inside their guard. The majority of things that a modern jiu-jitsu grappler is going to want to do from guard require you to stand up, right? If they want to leg entangle or they want to do some matrix nonsense or they want to play Della Hiva or whatever, I have to stand up. They can't do that if I'm down on my knees. Now, the problem with being down on my knees is theoretically, I'm in submission territory. If I'm kind of hunkered down, that's when the person on the bottom is going to think, well, now I can guillotine or triangle or armbar or I'm a plot of this person, but they can only do that if they can get access to your arm or your head. And if you basically pull turtle inside their guard, it's shockingly hard for them to do that because your hands are kind of retracted. You're not reaching out forward. You're basically curled up into like a little medicine ball inside their guard. A spiky ball. Exactly. So a lot of the time, what people will try to do is they'll try to pull your arm free and then they'll realize... I can't do it. And then they'll try to triangle you and they realize I can't get this guy's arm, so I can't triangle him. And then if they're feeling real spicy, they'll try to hip bump you or guillotine you. But if you've got your hands anchored on their hips, they can't get up and get that height. So they're kind of stuck there on the bottom while you honey badger burrow your way out of their guard. It's just a beautiful system, not just for fighting up significant weight classes, but also for staying safe, reducing injury, and also defeating a lot of the predictable responses your opponent is going to want to do, right? You shut down, for example, a lot of a modern leg lockers game if you never stand up because they can't take your leg. Now, a lot of people will say that this is not good competition advice, right? But when you talk about competition, you're usually talking about two roided up athletes who are willing to do anything and suffer any injury to win. I'm not that guy. I mean... My one win at Masters Worlds in the gi at Black Belt, I used this. I honey badgered to double under to win. Like, that's what led to me scoring and winning. So it's not like it doesn't work at Black Belt level competition or anything. The thing is, there's a few things that you really have to be prepared to have happen. The thing that you are waiting for to make your move is for them to decide that they need to open their guard in some fashion to attack you either to get up or to try to pull you into a triangle or to change the angle, try to chase your back, something, something, something. The moment they open their guard, even the slightest, that's when your hands scoop to the hips and you go to a double underpass. And if you don't know how to un double underpass on big heavy people or you don't think you can, it's 100% the most effective pass against, double un against super heavy people that I have. If you get there, because the moment you try start lifting their hips even the slightest amount, they get really upset about it and they want to put their hips back on the ground. So as soon as you do that, you just let them put their hips back on the ground and you let go of everything as you go around the side, right? That really is, you just... You pick up a little bit and then you just let go and leave and they'll throw themselves back on the ground. So double underpass will work great there against heavier people. And that's like, that's kind of what you're waiting for. But the thing that you have to watch out for is people that realize kind of what's going on and then aggressively disengage from your position and try to like come up to the top of um, like front headlock position or like attack you as if you're in turtle. You have to be ready for that. And that's the second thing that you're kind of waiting for, because the moment they do that, like that's kind of when you're initiating your wrestle up stuff where you're going to attach yourself to one leg because that they have to put a leg up, right? Most people aren't just going to leap to both feet and start running around you. Like some dudes might, but most people are going to put, you know, they're going to disengage and they're going to put one leg up to help get up. And that's when you attach yourself to that leg and you start hitting your single legs and your wrestle ups. And 
in environments where you don't necessarily care about the points as soon as they start to disengage you can sit to guard and you can start playing under them and like play your guard game if you want to and decide that's what you want because now you weren't swept you're not ending up on the bottom on their terms they disengage so now you get to move to the guard that you want that might let you get in on their legs might i use it to get to single leg x whenever somebody like disengages and stands up i immediately pop through into this sort of seated butterfly and start attacking for single leg x I can't get their leg for the wrestle ups. But those two things are really the only worrisome scenarios, right? And if they open their legs to hip bump, then you get your double unders, right? They, all of these things require that they open their legs just a little bit to attack you in any way. I think the only thing I've run into that's a problem, I have a couple of people I've rolled with that are just, they're insanely strong and they will two on one my sleeve in the gi and just really commit everything to pulling one sleeve out. And then I have to like keep my hands together, right? So I have to bring that other arm back in and kind of have to break the grip and start over again, right? So sometimes that's going to happen. Like everything else, nothing's foolproof. So you have to be willing to kind of flow with what's going on when necessary. If they do get a big grip on your arm and yank that thing out and start to extend it, you have to react to that. You have to be ready for it. And to a degree, you can bait that a little bit. You can let some big dude try to triangle you and then pop your tiny head out out and circle and stuff like that because there's too much space for them to close off. But it's dangerous. I don't recommend it. Instead, you just keep your hands connected so that they can't easily just snatch one off and armbar triangle you and you work on breaking your grips and grinding your elbows back down and starting over again in your position. But for the most part, you just don't care about anything that they're trying. Like I've had people try to double collar me and they just can't get the loop through. They can't get both hands in front to start actually creating an angle. When your head's so far down towards their hips too, and um, because usually you're going to be shorter than the person you're rolling against, but um, when your head's way far down against their hips, like really low, it's super difficult to choke you. It's really hard for them to curl up enough, especially with their legs closed, to get access to your neck. So when they have to adjust and shift so they can try to get to your neck, well, there's your opportunity to move. Double unders, back out. I'll just pop up and leave when their guard opens sometimes. So it's a very safe position. Yeah, that's what I love about it. And you brought up that if someone is doing this honey badger pass to you, the sensible thing for you on the bottom to do is to open your own guard and try to play this like a turtle where you try to get up on top. And if I'm the person doing the honey badger, I love that. Right. That's what I'm waiting for. Yeah. What I would prefer you do as the guard player is I would prefer you open your own guard so I don't have to open it for you. This is, I think, where a lot of traditional guard breaks get really difficult is you're kind of with a lot of traditional positions exposing an arm or giving them something that they can fight against. And so while you're trying to break their guard, they're also trying to do stuff to you. But if I just curl up into a little turtle and I anchor my hands on your hips and I just scoot my butt back just inch by inch by inch, eventually one of two things is going to happen. Your guard's going to break open because my body's moving backwards while you're staying fixed, or you're some sort of freak and you have really powerful legs and your guard doesn't open, but by moving backwards, I create enough space to get my arms through your guard and underneath you, and then I stack pass you and double under you. So 
once you do this to people enough, they will realize as soon as you start honey badgering them, the sensible thing for them to do is to just give up and open their guard and move on to something else. And of course, me being the little weenie person, that's what I want, right? I would prefer you open the guard and just let me pass. So just a very, very awesome way to kind of safely with low energy expenditure, kind of slowly inch out backwards, pop their guard open, and then just move right into whatever passing sequence you want. And yeah, I agree with you completely that the double under and stack passes are deceptively effective against bigger people. You might think they wouldn't be, but with a few adjustments, you can easily stack someone who is 50 to 100 pounds heavier than you. It just requires you to get a bit creative and to maybe change it the way that you would normally do it. Yeah, like I don't try to get a full stack on people that big. I just wait until they start resisting the stack and then drop them. They can't react to it. They just hit the ground and then I'm inside control. So that's, that's sort of the the easy, like shortcutty way to pass guard with it. And uh, let me see, I've had people bring up concerns about the position and vulnerabilities to it. I'm trying to think of all of them. I think I've covered all of them because there's not, there just isn't much people can do against you there because as long, what is the interesting thing is once you get your elbows to the inside and even slightly through the inside gap of their legs, they don't have the inside space control anymore. Right. One of the things that makes closed guard dangerous is that person who is holding you in closed guard actually has control of the inside space. They're the one that are dominating that area between your armpits and your hips. Right. And so they're the ones that can move you around. They can isolate limbs and stuff like that. But as soon as your elbows are through that gap, they don't have that control anymore. So now they can't move you the same way. They can't attack the same way. It really, it's a stupid position and it works really well. And you know, it encourages people to open up and attack you because they can't sit there. Now, one thing about it is, though, if you're competing and you're down by two points and your opponent has closed guard and you start honey badgering, you're going to lose. They don't give a shit. They're not going to open their guard. They're not going to attack you. They're just going to be like, sweet, this guy is willing to sit here for the next minute and a half while time runs out and I take my free victory. So it's very hard to force action with this guard in my experience. Like if you get a good wedge, you get your elbows through so you can stop them from kind of chasing you with their hips and you can you can make it work. Like it takes more effort if you're trying to force the action because your opponent is in a position where they are happy to stall. In any position where your opponent wants to create some action, any action at all, it works great. So you do have to watch out for scenarios where it's not the right technique for the job. Sometimes you shouldn't use it. That's going to be true of almost everything in jujitsu. So don't like get into a tournament, start doing this and be like, I lost the decision. It's like, well, yes, that is going to happen. Like my opponent was up by two and he didn't try to sweep me or anything. Yeah, you're right. He's not gonna. So make sure you're using the tools where they're appropriate to be used, right? Which is when your opponent wants to make something happen, you want to make nothing happen. That's that kind of goes back to some of the things we've talked about with like negative jujitsu and stuff like that and how different people approach jujitsu and the closed guard, especially like your super heavyweights, your kind of shorter rounder guys, they want to make nothing happen. So if you want to make something happen, you have to act and then they're going to wait for that reaction. We're kind of flipping that on its head now as the smaller person, we want nothing to happen. So we have to be in a scenario where our opponent wants something to happen because if we both want nothing to happen, then nothing will happen. Absolutely. Now, something that we haven't talked about yet is posture. 
postures for nerds. That is true. But and that's what we're going to get into here, I think. Almost every classic guard break requires you to kind of posture up, right? Have a straight back. And that's kind of the idea behind how a lot of classic guard breaks work. And one of the things that I think confuses people with the honey badger is you don't want to do that. With the honey badger, usually you're trying to posture down. You're trying to get small. So you don't necessarily have a, a straight upright back. But instead, like you mentioned earlier, you're basically trying to turtle inside their guard. Now, that can really mess people up at first because it's so contrary to what they expect. But the thing is, if you are smart with where you put your hands, so if you're anchoring your hands on their hips, for example, you can prevent them from getting up and coiling around you or getting up and hip bumping. The reason why you don't want to have your posture down with a lot of traditional guard breaks and guard passes is because if your posture down, you expose yourself to submissions, right? The guillotine, the arm bar, the triangle. When you're postured up, you make it hard for that to happen. And also, of course, with a lot of traditional guards like close guard, the idea is you as the guard player are trying to pull the person down. And, you know, this is kind of a self-defense argument, right? You're trying to prevent them from posturing up so they can just tee off on you. But in modern jujitsu, you're also trying to prevent them from posturing up because so many popular guard breaks and guard passes require you to posture up and just stand up. But in this case, we're not trying to do any of that. So we don't need our posture. Now, the only thing we have to be careful of is we don't want to expose anything that could get us submitted. And the beauty of this position is if you anchor your hands on their hips and you tuck your elbows in tight, you kind of dig them into your own ribs. And like you said, you're trying to get your elbows on the inside of the guard, not on the outside. If you do that, basically no submission that I'm aware of is really gonna work from there. If the person tries to guillotine you, they can't get in close and coil around you because your hands are on their hips, you can push them away. They can't armbar you or triangle you because they can't get your hand free. There's not a lot they can do. I mean, the only thing they can really conceivably do is try a cross collar choke. Here's the thing, if somebody can get to both of your collars, you weren't down low enough in the position to start with. You got caught in no man's land because this will go back to some like old school MMA jujitsu training where they tell you, all right, when you're in closed guard on top, there are two places you can be that it's okay. You can be all the way up, postured up, or you can be all the way down with your head on the chest, right? And you're usually in the MMA context, you would be controlling their biceps with and caging their ribs with your elbows, but all the way up or all the way down. And that's when you're okay. Because that means you're not in this area where they can control your posture and attack your arms, throw triangles, stuff like that. They can't hit you from the bottom because that is a thing that can happen in MMA. I've seen dudes spiked with elbows from the bottom of guard. They thought they were winning in closed guard and all of a sudden an elbow comes across and like they now they, they have a whole new set of problems. So all the way up or all the way down. And this is the same way. If you stop like halfway down with your head like four or five inches off of your opponent, you're giving them space to get access to you, to grab your sleeves, to grab your collar, stuff like that. The guys that managed to get my collar, it's because I'm not hunkered down far enough. If you get flat all the way down so that your forehead is on their stomach, they cannot get your collar to choke you. They cannot get both collars. You just keep smash yourself into their stomach. They can't get it. So if they... If they manage to, it's because you messed up, not because like, oh man, it's vulnerable to that. It's because you didn't go down far enough. Like you can't stop in that middle zone. Yeah. I have never really felt particularly threatened in this position compared to a lot of classic guard breaks and guard passes because there's just nothing exposed on my side. And I've got a lot of frames that I can use 
to keep my opponent where I want them to be, right? If I've got my hands anchored on their hips and I've got my head down, now I've got kind of three frames that I can use to keep them where I want, right? I, my hands against their hips prevent them from getting up and hip bumping or guillotining me. And my head is also a frame. If they try to get up, they're going to run into that, right? And if I can keep them pinned down while I start to slowly back out and try to pop their guard open or get underneath them, it's a very difficult position for the person on the bottom to deal with. And I think one of my favorite things about this is, unlike a lot of jujitsu techniques, the honey badger is only going to work better against bigger and stronger opponents. Yes. Because if their legs are big and long, it's easier for you to get your arms onto the inside and to ultimately get pop their guard open and get out or get underneath them. So a lot of jujitsu positions, you know, they're taught from a jujitsu competition standpoint where they're going to work great against people your own size or smaller, but then they're going to lose effectiveness as you go up the weight classes. They don't scale well. Exactly. This is one of the rare positions that scales inversely, where it only gets better if you're giving up a, a size and strength disadvantage to your opponent. Yeah, it's actually not possible for me to do this to my 110-pound purple belt lady. I it, it, I cannot do this because I cannot get small enough to get inside her guard, right? She's too small. There's no space, and there never is. So even when I like hunker down as small as I can get, I'm still like, okay, well, my forehead is on your chin and I'm sort of like, it just doesn't work that way. But my 6'2", 215 pound purple belt literally can't stop me. Like there's nothing, he, I just leave whenever he tries close guard on me. So it definitely does scale very hard inversely. Yeah. And that is a good thing to understand, which is that if you are the bigger person in the exchange this might not be the most effective move because it, it will be harder for you to get your arms out of their guard. But hey, if you're the bigger person, that's when you get to do all of the fun bully jujitsu that everyone does to you, right? So take advantage of that. So one other thing I wanted to pick your brain here about is what are the kind of mechanics of, of how you actually pop the guard open here from the honey badger? Well, so yeah, I, what I've seen when I teach this is that at first people will make the mistake of like, trying to push out with their hands like they're almost doing an overhead press like they're crunched down and they're kind of pushing with their hands up and that's not what you want to do at all to open the guard with this or to make space with this it goes right back to that the hobbit hand stuff where you're going to use your elbows right because your elbows are down in the center of your body you're just lifting those away from your body as a like to create this wedge and it's super strong. It's a very powerful movement. And as you drive your elbows down to the mat and push them out away from your body, it just pops you out through the space. It's extremely difficult to stop. It doesn't involve like arm strength. It's this like back and I don't know. We're going to have to consult somebody. I told you guys, I don't know anything about this. I just know it uses like a lot more and stronger muscles than my pathetic arm bicep muscles, right? Like... But yeah, it's it's wedging the elbows up. That's a common mistake with this particular passing strategy, which is that people will anchor their hands onto like the hips of their opponent and they'll try to push their opponent away, which you don't want to do because first of all, you're 
using a very weird press motion to try to push someone away who's on the ground. And that also runs the risk of exposing your arms. So you're not trying to move them. You're using your hands to hold them in position while you move yourself, right? Very common thing that you see with a lot of small person jujitsu. So rather than trying to push them away to break the guard, your hands are just there to keep their hips stapled to the ground. So they can't do anything while you slowly back out. Mostly just to keep them from chasing you while you back out right? You don't want them to like scoot their hips towards you and keep getting rid of the space that you're trying to make. So if you just keep that little anchor and keep that wedge so they can't chase you, now you're good. Every kind of scoot back that you do, you just extend your elbows slightly further away from your body to increase the space between your elbows and your hips. And the gap gets bigger and bigger and bigger as you scoot. And you don't need a very big gap either. Like, you shouldn't be trying to break their guard, generally. You just want to make enough space to scoop your hands under so you can pop out and start double underpassing or make them do something else, right? So you don't think you have to pop their guard open either, right? But getting those elbows down and using that as your wedge to open the space is way, way, way better than trying to grab their pants or or shove into their lower ribs or something, which is, like, that's how the sort of traditional guard break where you make the L and everything that we we're talking about earlier, you're usually going to be like gripping their pants and pushing their hips down into the mat and kind of away from you or digging your hands into the lower ribs and pushing kind of down and away from you if it's no gi. And this, you don't do that at all. You don't care about pushing their hips down and you don't want to try to push them away with your arms because you, again, as you said, you don't want to end up with your arms extended away from you. You just want to create that space, that gap and exploit that wedge to get your arms out or to convince them that they need to open their guard to move. Absolutely. Now, let's say that someone's doing this. They figured out the honey badger breaking part. So they get into that position. They pull the little turtle, anchor their hands onto the person's hips, and they walk back slowly. One of two things happens. Either homie opens his guard willingly or you pop their guard open just by virtue of the fact that you're moving backwards. Now, what do you do from there? You've broken the guard how does a honey badger pass the guard? That's what I want to hear from you. I mean, my so my number one honey badger pass is the double under because you're already there. You're already low because when, when I teach passing, I teach to pass over, under, or around. And so those are kind of the three ways you can pass the guard. And in the honey badger, you're already under them. You're already under the hamstrings, which means you can go immediately into your double under pass. Now, the sort of follow-up to that is that my students all know that shit and they're not going to let me do it. So the second that I start to dive under their legs, they pancake their legs straight to the ground. And as soon as that happens, I switch to the top, I put my hands on top of their thighs and I leapfrog to the side. I may go sideways, I may go straight to mount, but forcing somebody to try to anchor their own hips to the mat to stop you from going double under on them gives you a really easy route over or around usually it's sort of over the leg right so it's what i would consider overpassing. and so when they anchor their own hips to the ground if you just hop over them you've passed and it's again this is one of those like it is really really great when you're small because you can easily just kind of hop over their leg and it's hard for them to stop right because they just intentionally anchored their hips to the ground to stop you from lifting them and those, those are the two ways that I, I almost exclusively, I can't think of another way 
that I end up needing to use to get past the guard once I've gotten Honey Badger going. It's just that. It's either either you get under their guard, you get under them and you get your double under, or they throw their hips to the ground for you and so you just hop over. Yeah, and that's an important distinction too, right? We've talked this whole time about how a honey badger is going to turtle up on their knees inside someone's guard. But once you've got the guard open and you're going into passing mode, now, if you want to stand up, go for it, right? I mean, you don't have to, you can definitely pass on your knees, but there's a lot of great passes that are just going to work better if you're standing. So for me, what I will try to do, if I can pop the person's guard open, I mean, ideally what I want is I want to have double unders. Sometimes I can't realistically get that, right? Sometimes I've got one under and then my other hand is kind of like grabbing their leg or something, but that's okay too. At that point, what I love to do rather than do a classic stack pass double under where you're kind of down and sprawled out or on your knees, I like to stand up from there. So I know you saw me do this at the camp. That's right. I remember you did this at the camp and I was like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it fucks up the angle for the person so bad, right? Where I started doing this was I was sparring with guys who either were just way bigger and stronger than me and I just couldn't get good leverage against them when I did a classic double under Or alternately, they just had crazy hip mobility, right? And just as fast as I tried to pass, they were just twice as fast at hip escaping and moving backwards. And I was just burning more energy than they were. And I realized at some point, like, you're not required if you're doing a stack pass to do the classic version where you kind of got your like your head buried in their crotch, right? I actually don't like that low stack pass version because your head is fully exposed and your opponent can attack it. Now, If you're really aggressive, is your opponent going to be able to stop a low, you know, double under stack pass? Probably not, but they can certainly mash the fuck out of your head and make you regret doing it, right? I mean, there's been a lot of times where I've succeeded at doing a low double under pass only to have to go to work looking like an asshole the next day because I had a black eye or a bruised lip or something. People love that naked scissor choke, especially big white belts. They'll just like lock down on your head and start squeezing. You feel like both your ears are going to get ripped off while you finish the pass. Exactly. So what I do now is if I can get into that stacking position, I will just stand up. I'll basically with my hands anchored on them, I'll kind of do a push up with my hands to pop myself up to to both feet. And now if I'm standing and trying to stack you, I can create this hilarious angle where I basically pull the person up and force them to almost be upside down. And it just, it sucks so bad. And I have found that that works against people of all sizes. I mean, against a, a, just a massive ultra heavyweight, I might not be able to to fully stack them with both legs, but I can still do a a split stack, right? Where I take one of their legs and I stand up and I kind of fold them on top of themselves like an accordion. It's just a hilarious thing to do to people and it's super effective. Yeah, and and people should realize you don't need a full stack for this to work, right? If you get a big person's hips up off the ground at all, you're almost certainly going to get the pass on them. If they're even like 180, 190 pounds, and you get their hips up off of the ground, they want to put their hips back on the ground, right? They're going to try. And when you let them do that, you'll get to go around the guard. You don't have to like sell out on trying to get this big, huge stack, right? So don't think that like if you're not getting people like super folded in half or all the way up on their head or whatever, that your stack pass isn't going to work. Your goal when you get a stack pass is just to get their hips higher than their head for a a few seconds, right? That's all you need in order to create the motion that lets you get around their legs. So yeah, you can definitely, because I watched Steve pick some big dudes up and just like get them far enough upside down that they couldn't stop him from passing. 
And he's he's not very strong, guys. I don't know if y'all know this about him, but he's not actually very strong. But it was working. It's part of my brand. Right? I, I'm a weak little guy who doesn't train at all, but still somehow makes it work. Classic jujitsu. <laughs> it's a beautiful system. One of our sponsored athletes, I mean, I know a friend of yours as well, Beatrice Jin, does yes. this a lot too, where she will do a split stack pass. So instead of trying to load up both of the person's legs onto her shoulders like a traditional stack, which can be very hard against a strong or mobile opponent, she will load up one of their legs and then stand up. And then from there, you've got different passing options to the left mm-hmm. or the right. So don't feel like a stack pass requires you to do things the way that your instructor taught you 10 years ago, you know, where you have to basically like bully wrestle the person from the bottom. There's a lot of variations that a smaller person can do to stack pass people. And they often involve either you've got one leg instead of both of them, or maybe you stand up instead of being on your knees or some combination of those things. And then the other thing that this, like using the honey badger will lead into is as people recognize it, or if you get certain people who just like, they're okay doing this, they'll start to, as soon as you hunker down in their guard, they will like butt scoot backwards, post on your head and start to get up. And this is going to lead to wrestling exchanges and you're going to have to be comfortable with the idea of either, all right, I'm going to sit to guard now because I got out of their guard. So now I'm going to be the offensive guard player, or you have to be willing to wrestle up with them, right? You have to understand that like, you're going to create a scenario where they have limited options. And one of those options, which tends to be the least bad option for them is for them to stand up. For them to move away, get some space, stand up and try to beat you to the top and put pressure on top of you. So as you're in this position, you have to make sure you're paying attention to what they're doing, what options they're doing. And so when they start posting on your head and pushing away, that's the time for you to immediately get up, beat them to the top and start moving towards them and pressuring them so that they can't stand up. Otherwise, you're going to end up in a wrestling match with them. Right. And we don't like wrestling way bigger people. It sucks. There's a reason that there are not absolute divisions in wrestling. Right. Because when you are wrestling somebody who is way bigger than you, you're almost always just going to get destroyed unless you are way, way better than them. And you're very likely to get injured. So don't wrestle them if you, unless you're like really ready for that. But understand that that is a common outcome once people start to realize what's going on is that they move away, disengage, and start trying to stand up. So be ready to beat them to the top, control their leg. If you can snatch one of their legs on the way out and just like stand up with it, you shut all that down and you're fine. But if you're not ready for it, if you're just kind of, I'm happy hunkered down in my little turtle thing, the next thing you do, somebody is like airplane spinning on the back of your head. And you don't want really, you don't want to deal with that most of the time. You want to be choosing how that engagement happens. Yeah. Now, one of the other awesome things about honey badger here is this position where your legs and your arms are all kind of coiled up into a a little spiky ball as you would call it right this position is really just the same as butterfly guard or turtle right it's all mostly the same position just from different angles and that is hugely important because it means that as long as you stay compact like that depending on what your opponent does you can cycle through those positions So if your opponent does decide to just bail and get up on top, you can go to turtle and then sit back right into butterfly and then play that game. Right. And that's another game that works great against big people. And you can fuck with the points if you uh, so if you're a competitor and this happens and somebody stands up, if you stay turtled for three seconds and then sit to guard, 
they don't get points for a sweep. So you can just stay there and then sit to guard, right? So you can fuck with their points. But now you've done it. I'm going to talk about spiky ball. Yeah, let's do this. We mentioned this earlier. We've got some time. We're going to do it. I can do it. All right. So because the confluence of those three positions is how I started playing it of like butterfly and turtle and the the force field position that I talk about, which is really just the the original spiky ball. When I started to, this happened to me in mid blue belt. I was, I kept trying to play. It was when I had first really learned butterfly guard. And I kept trying to play Butterfly Guard against these way bigger people. And they kept smashing me flat over and over and over and over and over again. And I was getting very annoyed about it. I was like, you know what? The next time somebody tries to smash me flat, I'm just going to jam my elbows into their chest and let them like smash themselves on my elbows and see how they like it. And they tried to smash me flat and my elbows were in the way and they put their knees back on the ground and stopped trying to smash me flat. And I was like, oh, well, that worked really well. And so I started keeping my elbows connected to my knees because prior to that, what I was doing was always hand fighting. I was always trying to get my double overs or my over unders and stuff like that to get my butterfly sweep. But when you're doing that, you lose your elbow knee connection because you have to reach to secure something. And as I was, you know, doing this, I'm like, well, crap. Okay, well, now I've got to keep my elbows attached to my knees and so I can create, keep them from smashing me down. And so I started just doing that. And then they would smush me down kind of less aggressively because the point of your elbow, right? Now all of their weight pressing into that very small surface is even better than if I were on top doing that to them because they weigh more than me. So now they're driving all of their weight into a tiny surface. It's really uncomfortable for them. And so as they would try to climb on top of me and pass my butterfly guard that way just by smushing me, I realized I could roll under them like a marble under a, a plank, right? It's like if you put a, a glass marble or a metal marble or whatever ball bearing under a piece of wood and you like, you can roll the piece of wood around really well. So as they would get on top of me, I would just start rolling as a spiky ball and I would end up in like turtle and then sit through. And as I sat through, I would get my grips and then I would sweep them off of that. Or I would pop out the back with the turtle like a peek out and go to their back. And stuff like that. And I started to really play with that shape of the knee and elbow connection with the focus on keeping my elbows pointed into my opponent or keeping my knees like pointed into my opponent so that whenever they tried to put pressure or weight on me, it was uncomfortable for them. It wasn't somewhere that they could just settle and smush me and be happy and be comfortable there. And that created like the purpose of it initially was just to irritate them because they were irritating me. And what it led to was me establishing a better shape, right? That knee to elbow connection. Because this was way back, and this was like 2007, 2008. There was really no emphasis on knee to elbow, right? That wasn't a thing that like, yeah, it sort of came up in a few places here and there. But as a concept, it didn't permeate the jujitsu space the way it does now. So when I figured it out, for me, it was revolutionary. It changed the way I played butterfly, changed the way I played all of my, um, like my half. That's how, what led to my knee shield half guard was trying to keep my knee and elbow connected in those positions that it really did change everything for me. And it led to this like spiky ball position that I use where anytime somebody is putting weight on top of me, I'm trying to make them uncomfortable, trying to keep myself as compact as possible. And I'm trying to roll under them 
the same way that like a, a marble under a plank would roll so that I get to move them to somewhere that is better for me, where I can act, where I can get access to something that's going to help me and they can't just lay on me. And it's, it is, again, it's one of those things that's very simple. Once you think about it, once somebody shows it to you, you're like, oh, of course, everybody should do this all the time. But when nobody has ever pointed it out to you, it's insane. You realize that if you just stay compact and you stay pointy so that when people try to lay on you, it's uncomfortable for them, you can move around. You can move yourself. You can move them because they can't compress you into immobility the way they can when your surfaces are more flat, where they can rest comfortably on you and you're less round. Because when you let them lay on like your forearms, you're you're not very round. That's that's just what I have. They have a flat surface to lay on. It's much harder for you to move back and forth. But once you extend the elbows and create a more round shape out of your body, now you can roll. Now you can move. You're a, a globe. You can roll around a little bit under them and change that position and change where you are in relation to them and make it more advantageous to you. So starting to create opportunities to maintain that spiky ball position and achieve that spiky ball position became the largest portion of my defensive jujitsu and how I was dealing with being on the bottom of mountain, being on the bottom of side control and stuff like that. It was just looking for ways to create that knee and elbow connection, which is now ubiquitous in jujitsu. Everybody that talks to you about how to have good uh, defensive postures and how to protect yourself will talk about maintaining knee and elbow connections. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I love that you brought this up. I mean, honestly, I'd love to either do a full episode on spiky ball or maybe even a whole series or an instructional on it because it's such a game changing idea for a lot of people. I mean, anyone who's been listening to me or a lot of small person jujitsu instructors talk probably understands the importance of coiling up and being small and compact, right? And that's all well and good. But if I just curl up into a little ball, I'm not disincentivizing you from just mauling me or squishing me, right? I mean, yes, I'm making it harder for you to submit me and I'm creating better defensive structures. And so these are good things. But at the end of the day, if I am sparring against some giant beluga, right, there's nothing stopping them from just saying, okay, well, if you want to curl up on the bottom, I'm just going to squish you and sit you here forever and just make you miserable. There's no incentive to prevent people from doing that. Whereas if you focus on kind of giving them these sharpened pointies, right? Using your elbows, using your knees so that you're kind of like a little porcupine. And the more they try to lay down on you, the more you make them regret it. You've now, not only are you staying defensive and safe, but you're also giving them a very strong motivator to not squish you, right? The the more they try to pressure down on you, the more that they're going to regret it. So I love that idea of kind of giving them less surface area to sit on, right? If I let someone just lie down flat on me, then it's quite a comfortable experience for the person on top. But if I'm leading with small pointy parts of my body, like my elbows or my knees, I'm disincentivizing them to lie down flat on me because now it's going to hurt them a lot more if they try to do that. And I I then took and I I applied this to the top, right? My side control positions, if I want to be mean to somebody on top of side control, I go to a spiky ball position. I will scoop their far tricep a little bit. I will roll my elbow up onto their like lower ribs or their diaphragm. I will bring my same side knee, right? So if it's my left elbow, I'll bring my left knee up to match it or close to it. 
and I'll pop up to a like neon, a very low flat neon belly adjacent position where all of my weight is driving exclusively through the point of that elbow and the point of that knee and the elbow and knee are squeezing towards each other. And now all of a sudden I'm a spiky ball on top of them. That's just shooting daggers right into their diaphragm, right into their lower ribs. They don't like that at all. Nobody likes that. Big people really don't like it because you can like squish them a little bit, like really make it uncomfortable for them. They'll start moving real fast, real fast if you start doing that. It's a very strong, and it's just, it's that same position. So I'm making my knee and elbow connection from on top with some anchors so that I can put more pressure in. And you can be really aggressive with it too. Yeah. Yeah. And the honey badger that we talked about is really just an example of spiky ball, right? You're kind of using your elbows to force the person's guard to open up the old elbow dig into the thighs. That's not what we're talking about, guys. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to address that specifically, right? Everyone had known since day one that digging the elbows into the thighs to kind of create a pain compliance guard break, just not going to be effective against anyone who's experienced. Right. But that said, if you keep your elbows in tight like that and you move back, pain or not, it makes it really hard for the person to keep their legs closed and keep their guards sealed. So even if you're not using it as a pain compliance technique, if you keep your elbows kind of pinched in tight, when you do that that honey badger and you start to back out, it makes it really hard for the person to keep their guard closed on you. Well, I want to like be very specific about where the elbows are going for this, right? Because your elbows, your goal is not to be touching your opponent in honey badger with your elbows your elbows should be working through this empty space that has been created by you lowering your posture and kind of arching your back a little bit in the guard it'll create a space that's i don't know about the size of a baseball most of the time right that's like right in front of your belly button and if you start to move your elbows into that space and as you scoot backwards you just push your elbows down towards the mat. You'll create this really strong wedge. You're not pushing on your opponent. You're not trying to dig your elbows into them. I mean, I will occasionally give them a little bump in the jubblies if I, I need a little extra, but mostly you're just trying to get your elbows down to the mat and away from your body to create a wedge that opens up the space that you can move through. Don't try to dig into your partner. Don't try to be like grinding their legs open to force them to open their legs. You don't really care about their legs. Again, honey badger don't give a shit. You don't give a shit about their legs. You don't give a shit about their chokes. You don't give a shit about their arm bars. You don't give a shit about any of that. All you care about is bringing your elbows to your belly button and then down to the mat. That's it. If you do that, you're out of their guard. There's no more guard. So don't worry about trying to like dig your elbows in or put pressure on them or anything like that. The uncomfortableness you're going to generate from this is largely psychological. We're doing emotional damage with this one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So that's an important distinction, right? You're not using your elbows as a pain compliance thing to try to get their guard open. You actually don't even care if they open their guard at all. You're using your elbows as kind of the leading edge of like a, a digging or a scooping tool. You're trying to basically drill your way elbow first to get your arms out of their guard. If they open their guard, that's amazing. If they don't, doesn't matter because your elbows acting as the little drills, you're going to eventually mm -hmm. pull your arms from of their guard anyway so it's not so much a pain compliance thing but as with all things in jujitsu if it winds up hurting a bit that's just a, a little bit of a bonus that's their fault yeah <laughs> they could have opened their guard before i wedged my forearm into their nuts that's on them yeah absolutely well man 
This was a great chat. Anything else on the Honey Badger system here that we want to talk about? Anything that we missed? I mean, to me, like these two things, they're both really simple when you get down to when you initially talk about them. It sounds like they're going to be some like really complicated, groundbreaking, revolutionary things, but they're they're not at all. They're both very simple. And especially these days when the concepts, the two primary concepts that make them up are almost ubiquitous throughout the jiu-jitsu community. When like I started using the stuff, you know, God, fucking 14 years ago, it was revolutionary. No, like what, what is this stuff? But now, as soon as you start to think about those concepts that almost everybody listening to this is already familiar with and these applications it will become immediately obvious to you. You'll be like, oh, of course I can do that. Ah, and you'll put it together and it will work fantastically. Yeah, you'll find some bits and pieces. It's like, ah, whoops, that didn't work quite right or I don't know how to deal with that. But that's just a matter of like a little bit of practice, a little bit of time with it. But for the most part, you're going to do this and it's like, oh yes, these things that I've been doing in other places work incredibly well here in a way that I hadn't thought about. So that's that's why I was kind of skeptical that we could make these two concepts two different episodes. If this was still like 2010 or something, then yeah, I, we could probably talk a bunch about it because we'd have to explain a lot more. But now most of this is like, yes, you already know a big chunk of this. This is just a different way to apply it. I think that everybody should immediately be able to take this information, apply concepts they already understand, apply the stuff from the Mental Models Camp videos. If you haven't watched those, you should. And apply the stuff from the Hobbit series. And like this fits right in there and matches up very nicely. And you'll just immediately be able to use it and find success with it. Nice. Well, let's plug some stuff. I mean, you already talked about a few things that are, are worth mentioning. One is all of the instructional stuff that we did at our camp was recorded. It's all on the BJJ Mental Models premium site. So if you're a subscriber, you can see it there. You will also see my dumbass attempting to teach turtle, which I know is something people always ask about. And you'll also see a lot of Josh's stuff about how to be super defensive and spiky from the bottom. Definitely recommend people check that out. The other thing too, um, it's always worth mentioning. One of the most recent premium instructional series we did was Jiu-Jitsu for Hobbits with Josh, a series focused exclusively not just on small person jujitsu, but basically when you're outgunned in every single way, right? I kind of feel like that might have been roasting me a little bit. Outgunned in every single way. That's hard, <laughs> man. Why you got to phrase it like that? Well, look, I, I didn't call it jujitsu for Hobbits because I wanted to market you as a super athlete, okay? <laughs> Man. But the idea is that even when you see a lot of small person jujitsu instructionals, they still make the assumption that you're a competitor, right? They're assuming that you are a small athletic competitor who is not necessarily risk averse, right? You're willing to get injured to win. Yeah. And like the major assumption that a lot of them make is your flexibility. Like every small person thing assumes you can just tuck your feet behind your head at will. And that's how you're like, get out of that. Exactly. So this is not a series for the Mikey Musumeci's of the world. This is a series for regular people, hobbyists even maybe, who just, they know they're not just outgunned in terms of size. There's also athleticism, strength, and frankly, probably experience a lot of the time. It's just a really great introductory system. I got so much great feedback from people saying it, it changed their game. And of course, if you want a visual of that stuff, that's also on the premium site as well. So if you want that instructional, if you want those camp videos, everything's on BJJ Mental Models Premium. You can also get Josh to roast you directly. I think you are currently our most popular coach, which is hilarious because our coaching team composes over 20 collective world championship wins. 
None of which are mine. I have zero. Zero. None of which are yours, and you are by far the most popular coach on there. So anyone, if you're a premium subscriber in the coaching tier, you can get Josh to, to roast you directly. Uh, but beyond that, Josh, anything else that you want to plug? I know you've got your knee shield instructionals, and having had you do that to me directly, I can definitely endorse the effectiveness of those techniques. Do you want to talk about that or anything else you want to plug? Everybody loves my knee shield stuff. If you haven't seen it, you should. The thing that I most want to plug is... We are going to do the Mental Models Camp again next year. We're already planning for December. We're going to try to make it after Nogi Worlds this time instead of before to try to make it easier for people to make it out. So we it'll probably be like the second week of December-ish. So we are already planning it. We're already going to make it happen. Um, we'll, we'll have details as we get closer, but I would like this one to be even bigger than the last one. I've got some some folks that I'm going to reach out to to see if we can get some sort of celebrity-esque instructors out for some stuff, but I'd still I you know, I want it mostly to be a mental models community-driven event where we all kind of collaborate and share the things that we're good at. Not like, hey, we paid some big name to come out and half-ass seminar for an hour. So, Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, like I said, I, I can't thank you enough for hosting that other camp. Um, we didn't really announce it because I, you know, we didn't want to overload everyone. We wanted to do a trial, but my wife was catering the whole thing herself. <laughs> so I definitely wanted to try to keep the numbers down until we figured out how well that was going to work. So yeah. we will probably have it outsource the catering for the larger event, but it will still have two meals a day included with it and stuff like that. So so if you want more info on that, either hop in the premium discord, that's where we talk and plan a lot of the stuff, or even just sign up for the newsletter on bjjmentalmodels.com. I'll probably send out some updates uh, as we get closer to how we get there. I'm not sure how we're going to figure out costing and stuff. I don't need, you know, the main thing though, is I just want to make sure that poor Josh and his wife don't have to eat all of the cost of this, but man, I can't endorse enough how awesome an experience that was. So, you know, save the date sometime in December. That's currently the target. We're looking to put something together in 2024. Awesome. Well, thanks, Josh, man. As always, I love these conversations with you. I love your purple Santa costume. It is amazing. I highly recommend it. It really is. Um, You're going to have to tell me where you got that. But thanks a lot, man. I always love having these chats with you. I think you just do such an amazing job at explaining things to people in a clear way that honestly, they probably haven't had explained to them before. And I I think that's important, right? There's a lot of these areas of jujitsu that just don't get talked enough about. But once people start thinking about them, it really can change the way that they roll. Yeah, a lot of it, I mean, again, a lot of the stuff's just going to be obvious when you think about it, but if you don't think about it, it's not. That happens to me all the time. And yeah, it's a pleasure every time I'm on here. Again, thank you for having me. I hope everybody enjoyed this as much as they have enjoyed the other ones. And yeah, have a great day. You too, buddy. Thanks to you. Thanks to the listeners. We'll talk to everyone next time. Take care.